If you have a Bible, either online or here in the room, open to the book of Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at a, an Advent story there this morning. Um, we Last week, if you were with us, we were tracking on this idea that the season of Advent is a season of hope. And we don't hope the same way that the world hopes or hope in the same things that the culture tells us to hope in, but our hope um, is a confident expectation, a confident anticipation in this season. And Advent reminds us that our hope is not rooted in a person, in a thing or an event or an outside circumstance, but it's rooted in the person, and that person's name is Jesus. So as we get into the scripture this morning, let's just stop and pray and ask God to help us and to help us see Jesus more clearly. And that's not something that I can just do for you. We believe that's something that's supernatural. And so we need, uh, we need the Spirit of God to reveal to us uh, His Son right now. So let's pray and ask God to help us with that. Father in heaven, God, we love you and we thank you for, um, God, just your sovereign care and concern over us now, God, your love towards us. God, we, uh, we thank you for the work that you are allowing us to do, God, in the space of foster care and kinship and adoption. God, I thank you for um, so many people, God, who have given their lives to that. God, I thank you for so many people in this church who've given their resources and their time and their energy and their finances towards that. And God, I thank you for how you've multiplied those things to bless, um, to bless kids and families. God, as we uh, open your word now and we look at the story from the gospel of Luke, we're praying for your help. I'm praying for your help. So Holy Spirit, would you come? God, we, we never want these times, these moments just to be uh, wasted. God, we don't want them to be empty. We don't want them to be hollow. But God, in order for, for that not to happen, we need you. So God, would you come and would you move? Would you control me? Um, God, would you illuminate the scriptures? Would you stir up our hearts so our affection for you is greater than the fear that we have about things in the world right now? or the questions, or the concerns, or the doubts that we have, God, I just pray that you'd really just speak a word to us. And Jesus, I pray that you are, are magnified and made, made much of. And God, maybe even that those who do not know you, that today might be a day of salvation for them. So God, I pray that you'd work, and you'd move, that you'd encourage, that you'd convict, God, that you'd rescue, that you'd save. And only you can do that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if, um, if 2020 has tested anything in our lives, um, for me, maybe like you, it's been a test of patience because I feel like there's always like another thing or the next thing that we're, we're waiting for. We're waiting for new information, or we're waiting for answers, we're waiting for help, we're waiting for things to get better, we're waiting for results, we're waiting for reconciliation, we're waiting for restoration, we're waiting for rescue. And this season of Advent that we're in right now is really a season of waiting. It's, in, it's anticipation for the arrival. It's expectation. It's celebrating that Christ has come, but it's also expecting that he's going to come again. It's looking forward to the promises of God. It's about 400 years of silence 
that's broken by the cry of a baby. It's about thousands of years of promise being fulfilled in the gift of the person of Jesus Christ. It's about prophecy and generations of expectation and hope that a Messiah would come, and he did. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about God fulfilling his promise in the most crazy backwards way because that's the way that grace works. It's about this unwed mother in a cave at midnight out of town under a cloud of scandal giving birth to the son of the living God. It's about God breaking into the average mundane run-of-the-mill life like yours and mine and saying don't stop hoping because I am able to do the impossible. Do you believe that? (laughs) Because God keeps his promise when it looks like it's impossible to keep. Um, When my oldest daughter was in first grade, uh, outside of her classroom, she had this bulletin board that just said Christmas wish list. And I was there to pick her up or drop her off. I don't remember. But I remember kind of noticing this board. And so I'm just looking at it as I'm standing outside her class and looking at all the different things that different kids were asking for. Most of it was pretty kind of normal stuff. Uh, You know, one girl wanted a Barbie. Another kid wanted a a, a bike. Uh, My daughter was asking for a Fitbit for one reason. I don't know. (laughs) She's influenced by her mother and that way clearly. Um, and I just remember kind of just kind of glancing over and looking at all, but there were two that really caught my eye. There was one um, that said, I wish my dad would move back in with us. There was another one that said, I wish my grandma could remember us this Christmas. And I just remember, I was like, you know, in our first grade, I, I, I think that kind of type of hope, uh, that's really like, what our experience of hope kind of boils down to, isn't it? Hope is waiting with great anticipation, this kind of confident expectation. And the reality is here that there's a lot of people who are just waiting on things. There are kids in the room, and you're waiting for your parents to figure it out. And you don't understand why they can't just work it out. Why can't you just love each other? There's, there's kids that are, you're waiting on your parents to do that. Some of you, you're waiting on uh, employment. You're waiting on a, a job. You're waiting for an email to come. You're waiting for the phone to ring. You're waiting for that to happen. You're waiting for that kind of news. There's people in the room, you could be here waiting for a husband or a spouse. We don't like to talk about that because it makes us sound a little desperate, but I mean, that's the reality. I was kind of hoping some of you just might raise your hand across the room. You could make the <laughs> connection. We could just have it happen right here, Christmas miracle. But that's just the reality of, of the human experience. We're waiting on things. We're, 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 we're waiting for a spouse to come back. We're waiting for a kid to come back. We're waiting for a baby. We're waiting for a forever family. We're waiting for the rehab to work. We're waiting for healing. We're waiting for the release from something that's enslaved us. And, and I think what's really sad is that culture's kind of hijacked hope because it's told us that, oh, oh, this thing that you're really hoping for, it's found over here. And you can buy it, or you can earn it, you can achieve it on your own. You just got to work harder, you just got to spend more, and we fall for that trap. And we think, well, our hope will be fulfilled when I finally achieve or get whatever that thing is. But Christmas reminds us that 
that hope was born into a world full of conflict and full of that tension, full of that brokenness, full of that struggle, full of darkness. The, the hymn, um, O Holy Night, was actually, a, it's a poem, it's a French poem, um, and you'll, you'll know this refrain, you'll know this verse, long lay the world in sin and error pining, which is a word that means waiting. So the world is in sin and error waiting till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Luke chapter 1, you should be there. Um, you, some of you, this, this might be a familiar story to you, um, others not, um, but I'm going to ask you, look, we do a lot of times when we're in these kind of narratives to to try to use your imagination as you're listening to the story. I think sometimes we can read uh, the scripture, we can read these accounts like it's just a fictional story, like it didn't really happen and it didn't really happen to real people. But I want to ask you just as we're reading it, just to really try to immerse yourself in the story and attach yourself uh, to what these real people would have really been feeling during this. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse... Uh, five, as we um, look at this hope um, in the Advent season. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, I know, especially if you're not familiar with the Bible, you can read a verse like that and be like, this is why I can't read it. There's a lot of weird words in there. And don't get too kind of hung up. We're going to explain a lot of what that is. Don't get caught up in the words and the names, but they are important. We're going to see why. But we're opening this story here this morning with, uh, we got Zach and Beth, and they're a couple that's in the ministry. And he is from the priestly line, and so is his wife. And, and what Luke is telling us here is Zechariah is a member of one of the 24 priestly division, and his division was Abijah's. So look at verse 6. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So Luke is introducing this couple to us. He tells us they work in the ministry. He tells us what lineage they're a part of. But he brings in this other fact that he thinks really important for us uh, to know about. They are righteous and they're without blame. But in spite of this, there's a, there's a real disconnect. Elizabeth is barren. And at that time, it was culturally thought that if you could not conceive, if you could not have kids, that was a reflection of God's displeasure on your life. So that's why Luke has to qualify that for the readers to know, like, no, they're, they're righteous, they're without blame. And so you're kind of seeing this, this incongruence there. Well, they've, it seems like they've done things right, but yet they don't have the blessing of God in their life. So there's a kind of tension in that story. And maybe you feel that tension in your own story as well. You feel like, okay, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm, God, I'm following you. I, I'm obedient. I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing, what you're calling me to be doing. But at the same time, why? What am I missing? What did, what did I do wrong? Why? Why are things not working out? I, I'm obeying. I'm doing what I believe you're calling me to do. 
but things just aren't happening the way that I thought they would happen in my life. If you're with us last week, I talked about, look, the Bible is ruthlessly realistic in describing what it's like in the human experience. And this story here kind of breaks up the mold that maybe some of us think through. Well, if I, if I do everything right, if I come from the right family, uh, everything's, everything's going to work out because it's not working out here for this couple. Look at verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So Zechariah draws the third lot, and it means that he's going to have the once-of-a-lifetime opportunity to enter the sanctuary and burn the incense. This was part of the priestly duties. And in the tent of meeting, just before the Holy of Holies, which was thought was the dwelling place of God, there was an altar of incense. And what the priest would do, they'd come in in the morning and the evening, and they would burn incense just outside the veil, um, just outside the Holy of Holies. Uh, kind of an interesting side note as it pertains to Christmas. Uh, one of the things that was mixed together in the incense that they would burn just happened to be frankincense. So if you know kind of the Christmas story, you know that was one of the things that the Magi brought to Jesus. So if you just kind of think about that, it's really interesting that the Magi, they bring to Jesus this thing that had been burning for centuries outside the veil of the Holy of Holies. And as he's inside the holy place, he's serving God before the table of incense, the people are praying outside. So the reason that's important is what Zechariah is doing symbolically there as he's burning in those incenses, are, are the, the, those, that fragrance is rising on the outside. The people, the fragrance of their prayer would also be rising. Look at verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. Okay, now you got to get the fear of what's really happening here because there's a lot of fear that's involved in this job. This was very serious. It's not like he could just kind of go in there and he's like, man, I really hope I get the stuff right. I really hope I get the thing right. I really hope I do this right. There were people who would die doing this job if they didn't do it correctly, if they didn't do it, uh, especially in the right heart or mind. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. So the angel shows up, and the angel says what angels always say when they arrive to planet Earth. Do not be afraid. They just kind of always get that out of the way right there. But then he says, your prayer has been heard. And if I'm Zechariah, I'm like, okay, you had to tell me this way. I'm a little freaked out. I'm already in here. I'm trying to mix the stuff. I don't want to die. And then you just show up out of nowhere. There's no way you couldn't have sent an email or text or anything. It had to be like this. The angel says, your prayer has been heard, which is just such a cool reality. And I think a lot of us in the room, you maybe couldn't handle the angel showing up, but you'd like to hear that. You'd like to hear God just say to you, I know you are laboring over this thing in your life. And I know that day in 
and day out and when you wake up and when your head hits the pillow at night and when you wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and you're praying to me, I just want you to know your prayer has been heard. Wouldn't you like just a little whisper of that confirmation for the thing that you're praying about right now? The angel shows up. It's a pretty bold presentation he brings. And he says, your wife, Elizabeth, just so you know I got the right guy, will bear a son. Not just a child. I mean, that would have been awesome. Son, favor of God. A blessing goes over the top. And he says, you will call him John. That makes it easy. So you got a boy, paint the room blue. John, get all the Pottery Barn kids monogram J stuff. You're good. It sets it up right there for him. And then look at verse 14. He says this, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. You see, when God breaks into your world with a miracle, he's always thinking about somebody else besides you. Which is why when we talk about the generosity of God towards us, we know that generosity is ultimately for somebody else. That's how, that's how you know that God's broken into your miracle because it's not just going to be contained to your thinking. It's not just going to be contained to you. It's a, it's a miracle that's for the whole world here. Look at verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. I love this because it just shows me once again that the, the Holy Spirit of God is not conformed to our thinking about how we think he should operate because there hasn't been Pentecost, there is not the tongues of fire or anything like that, but still somehow the Holy Spirit is involved. He's going to be in your son from the very beginning, the angel says. He's going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit at birth. And that might not feel theologically correct to us, but it is because God's working and moving and he's got a plan and quite frankly, he can do whatever he wants. Verse 16 He says, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife is going to have a son, and your son is going to prepare the way for the Son of God. What a day at work he's having. (laughs) Now, I want to just kind of pause for a second. Because again, remember when I asked you to engage your mind, engage your imagination in the story here. Now, let's try to put our mind kind of in the mindset of of this couple here. You've been waiting forever for something like this to happen. And maybe, and maybe you've just kind of resigned yourself, like, you know, it's probably just not going to happen. And then you've got all the kind of cultural stress and pressure and anxiety around that, the shame. And maybe you start to believe those voices, the whispers, the things that you're hearing, the accusations, the rumors about you. Maybe, maybe God is displeased with us. Maybe I do have some kind of sin that I'm harboring. Maybe, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not accepted. Maybe the favor of God is not on me. The doubts that come in, the fear that can come in. And then the angel says, oh no, it's happening. 
It's happening, and it's about a billion times better than you ever thought it was going to be. Merry Christmas. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? Because I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years, which is the way you're supposed to talk about your wife's age, by the way. <laughs> now, things are going really good here up until this point. And if we could get down to the original language of what Zechariah is really saying there, what he's saying is, I don't believe that this can happen. And, you know, I got all the grace in the world for the guy because he's nervous as all get out to begin with. And then the angel just shows up and out of nowhere, he tells him this incredible, truly unbelievable news. It's somewhat understandable where, where Zechariah would go really to this pragmatic way of thinking because that's what all of us do. When God says, I've got something unbelievable for you, we immediately go to, well, how can we afford that? I don't have the skill or the ability. I don't have the time. This is going to mess up my career. I've got a plan. This is how in the world can this happen? Look at verse 19. The angel said to him, uh, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you about this good news. I, I, I love that answer there, because it's like Gabriel saying, oh, I'm sorry, did I not introduce myself? I thought the whole me just showing up out of nowhere was enough, but let me just tell you who I am. Uh, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. I know you have this job. This is what you do with your life. What I do with mine is I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you to bring this good news. And this is where the story takes a bit of a turn. Look at verse 20. And the angel says to him, And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me. She said, and in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, again, let's use our imaginations in this story. Now, imagine you're Zechariah, and you're coming out of the temple to the people. And all the history of your people is leaning towards this moment right here. You are chosen for the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go and burn the incense, and you get in there, and the angel shows up, and the thing that your people have been waiting for for 400 years is announced. It's happening. By the way, you're going to have a son, 
And all of history sends you to this event, sends you to this moment. You have this radical encounter with Gabriel. And you come out and people are like, you were in there for a long time, man. What was going on? And you can't talk. You see, when we fail to trust God in his plans, we lose our voice in telling the world of the hope that he's bringing. When we create human borders and boxes for God to work in, it mutes the message of the miracle of God. And later on, as the story goes in chapter 1, we're almost done here, in verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gives birth to her son, and then she, on the eighth day, it comes the, the time to officially give the child a name. And Elizabeth says, well, his name is John. And everyone's like, well, wait a minute. Zechariah's not going to be down with that because that's just not what you did. I mean, he, would, he should be Zechariah Jr. That's just kind of how you named your kids in that culture and in that day. Look at verse 63. And so then John, he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Verse 64, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. He writes, his name is, not will be, not, hey, what do you guys think about the name? No, his name is John, and immediately he can speak. What do you think that moment was like? What do you think that moment was like? He could, he, now, all of a sudden, he can speak. Do you think he was just like, oh, man, that was annoying? No. He starts freaking out. He says he immediately goes into praising God. You don't think he was like, praise God from whom all blessing. No, he is jumping up and down. Like, you are not going to believe what happened. I'm in there. I'm mixing all the stuff. The angel shows up. It really freaks me out, but he tells me not to be afraid, but I'm still mixing all the stuff. He gives me this incredible news. He tells us that the Messiah is coming. I'm going to have a son. His name's John. He's going to be the forerunner, the forebearer for this guy. Can you believe it? The Messiah is here. The Messiah is coming. And everyone around is like, Bro, that's a lot. We just normally put the footprint on the birth announcement. We don't, I don't know if we can fit all that stuff on there. That seems like a lot to. And Zechariah says, You know, I wish that I could have told you sooner, but I didn't believe God. I wish I could have given you this news sooner, but I didn't believe that God was going to do what he's going to do. And as we're done here, we got to just recognize everybody is waiting. Uh, 2020, yes, has accentuated this in everybody's life, but the reality is everybody's waiting. And I don't know how God is working. I cannot tell you that you're going to wake up Christmas morning or a New Year's day and everything is just going to be set right and everything is going to be kind of fixed but I know that God is working and there's a day coming when he says to you, your prayer has been heard. A.W. Tozer is an author and he says this, if God has done it any time, he can do it now. 
If he's done it anywhere, he can do it here. And if God's ever done it for anybody, he can do it for you. And we have to embrace the possibility of that. We have to embrace that Jesus Christ, the promise of God, has broken into the world, born to give his life for you because you're loved by God. I want to give you quickly four things, four things in the waiting, and then we're going to end with a brief application just for us as a church. Four things for you to know in the waiting. If you take notes, these would be four things just to be really good to write down. Um, you can go back and look at them later. The first, and you've heard this said for myself, you've heard Tim say this as well too, um, but, but the first thing is this to know in the waiting is that waiting is not wasted because God is working in the waiting. Your waiting is not wasted because God is working in the waiting. If you've ever sat around and you've thought, God, why won't you do something about that? God, why won't you do something about this thing in my life? When we hear your prayer has been heard for 400 years in the silence, God is not wasting that time with his people. He's working. And so your waiting is not wasted because God is working in the waiting. The second thing that you need to know is that waiting is actually worship. Waiting is, is worship. Now you think, um, no, no, worship happens like with Zechariah, like worship happens when the, when the son is born, when the thing happens and I can name it and I can see it and I can hold it. That's when worship happens. But if you look at verse six, even though there's all the haters in their life and there's people who no doubt were saying, well, you guys should just quit. I can't believe you're still in this priestly line of work. You're still in this ministry line of work. Why don't you just quit? If you see in verse six, it says that they are careful to obey God. They're old in their age. They've been faithful in their service for years. And the thing that they've wanted the most has not yet happened. But the scripture says they are careful, resilient to obey God in that moment because waiting is worship. Whatever you're waiting on right now, that's when you worship. That's the moment of worship. The third thing to know is that we don't wait alone. We don't wait alone. Whatever you're waiting for today, Christ is waiting with you. That word Abijah, and I know it sounds like a funny word, but it's a, it's a name that means my father is Yahweh. So they come from a family name that means my father is I am that I am. And if you're waiting as a child of God, that's how you wait as a son or a daughter of I am. You are in a line of faith and your father is, I am that I am. You are waiting with God, not just waiting on God. The miracle that is coming is not based on your faithfulness in the waiting. It's based on the faithful promise of God showing up. The name Zechariah is a name that means the Lord remembers. And the thing that we see in Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they don't let the silence sabotage their hope because they continue to be faithful in their following God because the Lord remembers. Elizabeth is a name that means the Lord's oath. And so the two of them together, what God's teaching us this morning is that God remembers his promises. 
the Lord remembers the Lord's oath. When God shows up, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. We are not waiting alone. If you're here and you're waiting on healing, Jehovah Rophe, the Lord that heals, is with you. If you're here online or in the room and you're waiting on provision, and many of us are, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides or the Lord who sees to it, waits with you. If you're waiting on reconciliation or you're waiting on peace, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, is with you. If you're waiting to get out of the valley of death and despair, but you don't know the way out, you can't see the way out of the valley to different pastures, Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, is with you. The reason that the prophecy says they will call him Emmanuel, God with us, is because he is. God is with us. And the fourth thing for the church in particular to think about in the waiting is to ask yourself the question, who's waiting on you? Yes, everybody in the room, everybody's watching online, we're all in different places or seasons of things that we're waiting on, that we're waiting for. But ask yourself the question, well, who is waiting on me? Who's waiting on you to come home? Who's waiting on you to reconcile or to forgive or to restore? Who is waiting for you to bring the message of hope? What neighbor, what coworker, what family member, what relative, what orphan, what family in Bush, Alaska or Haiti or Dominican Republic or Ethiopia is waiting on you? And just think, do kind of an inventory of the last 30 days of the things that you've communicated or promoted with your life. Is it, are, are they things that are as valuable or life-giving as the gospel of Jesus? Because all around you, there are people who need the hope of Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15, our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, I used to love when he would always share this verse. It's, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And he would say, you have to actually show that you have hope in your life for someone to ask the question. Be prepared to give an answer for that and do it with gentleness and respect. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when, your, when your coworker, when your neighbor, when your family member encounters you or they say, man, you are just overflowing with hope or you're overflowing with something else. Are you spilling over hope? to those that you come in contact with. And then Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and we are his house if we endure, if we indeed hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. Church, we are a house of hope. I don't know how often you think about that when you're here or when you're out there because the church is not just a service that we attend, it's a mission to join, a mission of hope to a world that is hopeless. We're looking for hope in all of the wrong things, and it's killing them. And as we consider this season and the new year approaching, we need to do a personal inventory as a Christian. Am I participating in that mission of hope? Am I giving to that mission of hope? Am I serving somewhere in that mission of hope? Am I connected relationally to that mission of hope? 
And Christmas for us is a reminder that our hope's not in vain. Our waiting, our longing, our agonizing is not in vain because God keeps his promises even when it looks like they're impossible to keep. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John. And God, we know that the story is ultimately about you. And God, while they experience the blessing of your faithfulness, God, it's your faithfulness that is highlighted. And God, you've been so good and continue to be so good and will be so good to us. God, giving us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it, and in exactly the right way. And God, we might not always understand that, but God, we pray that you would grow and increase our faith, God, so that we would trust that. And God, I do pray that this church, one of our hallmarks, God, is our hope in you. Even when things seem sideways and things seem dark, God, our hope is firm in you. And God, we believe that you're a God who not just makes promises, but keeps them. And God, as we come to this moment of communion, God, we have evidence of that, the greatest promise, the promise to save and rescue in the person of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.